before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get a key the Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to the Looney Hour, episode 70. As always, joined by the three amigos, we got uh, Rich Diaz of Acorn Macro Consulting over in the UK, and we've got uh, Keith Dicker of Icecap Asset Management with a Patagucci, another new Patagucci jacket. It must be a bull market there. Yeah, I have a wardrobe. I have like, uh, remember that the show, the movie, The Fly? Remember that? With Jeff uh, Goldblum. Before my time. It More was more time. than five years ago. Anyway, uh, he had a really cool wardrobe. He opened up his closet. And he had like 20 of the same shirts and 20 of the same trousers and, and stuff. That's me. I have this, a lot of the same clothing. Your Patagucci, man. Yes. T- yeah, times are good. Patagucci. Yeah, sure thing. Rich, what's going on over well, there, man? I got some more flowers. <laughs> it's tulip season. Just for the show. <laughs> Just for the if show. You, I got some more flowers if, over if my you read the sign on there. It says the sign says too rich from rich. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The show it's turning into more of a dating show. There's been a lot of comments. Uh, uh they're very interested in, in what's happening in your extracurricular uh, well it's not it's not working or helping in any way. So I would inc- <laughs> the pressure is really mounting. The pressure is mounting. Uh Still brokenhearted, but at least days are getting longer here in the UK. The weather is spectacular. We're on a nice bike ride this afternoon. And uh, I'm ready to talk about macro markets. Lots of good stuff going on. Lots of shitty stuff. Lots of funny stuff. So let's, let's uh, Steve, take it away. Yeah, we got uh, some, some big news. I, I kind of, I leaked what I could uh, a day or two early there, but uh kind of some, some guys have been following for a little while. Um, you know, you kind of tend to know who the players are and, and, and who's, you know, when the, when the tide goes out. So it was a big de- Vancouver developer. It's now out in the, in the public news there. Um, so they had uh, over a billion dollars in, in land holdings in Vancouver, uh, something like 20 plus sites. Uh, they just filed for creditor protection bankruptcy essentially. Um, and so it's, it's obviously making the rounds. It's, it's huge. It's, I don't know if I'd say it's shocking for those that are like deep entrenched in the industry, um, but it is, it is big news. Basically, uh, it was, a off, uh, offshore, you know, Chinese developer that, uh, was basically here land banking, overpaying for sites, refinancing every several years, taking a very, very expensive debt. They didn't even care. My, you know, the conversations I've been having is, you know, they, they cared less about the interest rate on the debt, uh, and more about w- what kind of loan to value can you get? basically taking that cash, redeploying it, and just going on a mad buying spree, which I think really highlights the sentiment or the mood in Vancouver and you know Toronto, for that matter, over the last five, six, seven years, right? Which is 30 just a, years. <laughs> right. But in particular, the last five to 10 years, it's been supercharged, right? I mean, starting in 2015 with the, the massive flight of foreign capital out of China, uh, 
and since then it's just been supercharged. And so re- really, I mean, the notion has been like, there's no price too high that you can pay. And every year land values go up, you know, 10 plus percent. And so that kind of makes any purchase look good over time. Right. And so that's pretty much what these guys did is they just kept acquiring. And now obviously, of course, right. Like interest rates all of a sudden surge higher. Uh, it's getting more challenging to get money out of China. Number one. And number two is, is, you know, obviously land values are starting to come off and the market conditions are changing. People, people are like, I don't want to refinance you anymore. Steve, do you think that this is, um, this is just like the first of many whenever, so I have a couple of kids who work for me. They're great. And I always teach them, you know, when you see a mistake in an Excel spreadsheet, or if you hear some fraud or a, a, a certain politician has done something unethical, there's never just one cockroach, you know? And, um, and my question to you is, is, do you think this is like the first of many? Do you think that there are loads of them we just haven't sort of heard about or that haven't been made as public or perhaps aren't as big, but is is this is there is there only one cockroach or? <laughs> I mean, there's always there's always more than one, right? I mean, I think that uh, I've got a couple on my list that I've I've got circled on the uh, the bulletin board, but uh, we'll see. I, I I suspect you know some names will pop up. Um, I don't know, maybe later this year, but um, yeah, there's gonna be some collateral damage. I think the big thing here is like it's just a reminder to a lot of these like lenders, you know, um, cause like, you know, this, this company wasn't going through like traditional tier one banks, right. They're going through mortgage investment corps predominantly. Um, so private money basically. And so I think it's just a subtle reminder that, to them that, Hey, listen, like these guys just blew up. And so I think they're just gonna get more, I think money's just gonna get tighter. It's gonna get more conservative. And so that's just going to make, life more challenging for for some of these more or more fringe or less capital less capitalized developers i have, I have a question so. for you uh, i find this interesting as well and i'm not quite sure yet if this is an isolated event or if it's it's widespread um so how much capital is, is exposed here like how much do they uh, raise it's it's over 700 million so of that 700, so much is, uh, is, is it all boring? So individuals investing in these, you know, private label GICs that are sold no, with, with no, no I mean, stuff. yeah, I think I don't quote me on this. I think predominantly like a lot of the companies that are, that were issuing debt to them is a lot of it is like, yeah, wealthy money, um, you know, private money. Sometimes it's sort of like family offices and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's like in it's, my world, like on my desk, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll bump into people, um, you know, and they, they, you know, they bought one of these GICs with these private borrowers, basically what it is, because they're, they're lending. And, you know, the, obviously their, their yield is a lot higher than if they had it elsewhere, like on a bank's balance sheet or something. And, you know, you have the conversation, hey, is there a risk with this? And of course, you know, a risk is only a risk if it happens. If it doesn't happen, people don't think it exists. Um, but as you said, like there, there are people out there right now that are going to be hurt with this. Somebody was expecting to have a GIC or allocation to this mature imminently. And now I'm assuming everything is now what, tied up for a while. Yeah, yeah. It's going to go the dollar and stuff. Yeah, it'll go yeah. through litigation and everything. I mean, yeah, I mean to invest in like a a, a mech, you know, individually, especially ones that's going to lend to a, to a developer. Like you have to be a high net worth accredited uh, 
individual, right? So there is some hurdles. It's not like the average, it's not like the average retail guy, you know, some blue collar workers is throwing a little bit of, you know, chips into these funds. It's like, no, you, you gotta be accredited to get in there. So, yeah, I mean, I think that I think uh, the regulation is pretty lax with it though, isn't it? It is pretty lax. It's yeah, it's, it's not very regimented, but I think in, in general, it's yeah, it's typically, you know, higher income earner professionals and stuff like that, you know, it could be doctors, dentists, lawyers of that nature, realtors, realtors, economic strategists, realtors love doubling down on, uh, the realtors love getting high on their own supply. I'm not going to lie. They, uh, <laughs> you know, if, there's, if they get their hands on a couple pre-sales and a couple of uh, couple mix and just keep it all churning on the same trade, that's, that's what they love to do. I remember back when the, the tech bubble was bubbling and um, so rich, that was back in the late nineties, by the way, was the for the internet. It was, it was literally pre-internet if you think about okay. it. But uh, I remember chatting with people back then, you know, like, what are they? I remember one guy said, oh, I only buy tech stocks. I said, well, why? He said, well, that's the world I'm in. That's what I know. I'm only going to invest in stuff that I know. And it turns out in the end, they didn't know. (laughs) 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 So, you know, diversification helps. Steve, uh, are there, again, I don't know the story well enough, but are there actual developments on these pieces of land, these properties? Has someone like bought a... um, you know, a, a pre-construction unit and now all of a sudden they're held up in court and everything as well. Is that happening? Yeah, there's uh most of them are undeveloped because like I said, they're, I think I would call them predominantly land bankers. Um, the idea basically is like, okay, like in Vancouver and development, especially like the, you have to have just gobs and gobs of money. Um, and most of the time, like the, honestly, the profit margins, people think developers make tons of money. The margins are razor thin. The risk is astronomical. And so, um, you know, the idea really is like, okay, you, you know, you're competing with like, you're so, for example, you're competing with this company and they basically have, they don't even care so much about the valuation. They're just like, they just want to acquire sit on it, let the market do its thing, which is go up and to the right. And so they'll overpay for a parcel of land and then they're just like, yeah, we'll sit on it for eight to 10 years until the numbers make sense. And then we'll, we'll build it. So like the, like the holding with a hundred percent fine, with a hundred, with a hundred percent financing basically. Right. Uh, I mean, they're trying to get as close to it as possible. Right. Yeah, so, okay. um, and so long as the values continue to go up at each year, right. They can kind of just like refinance to, to they can basically refi to pay down the other debt, essentially like a Ponzi. Right. So, um, that that's essentially what was happening. So they did have one project, I think that's under construction right now. Um, actually drove by it the other day. So that, so anyone that's bought pre-sale in there, um, you know, they will get, they're supposed to get, they should get their deposits back. Um, it's, it's, it is pretty regulated, the pre-sale market here. So trust deposits get held at a, at a lawyer's office. And, um, so those will, those will get released back. right next to the uh, booze table. Right. Yeah, that's right. So anyways, a lot yeah. of lawyer friends. <laughs> Long story short, I think what's happening here is is interesting. I think that there's some rumblings that, again that's getting a little bit more challenging to get capital out of China. I think there's a bunch of really large luxury projects, pre-sale construction uh, in Vancouver, and I know in Toronto as well. Uh, some of these numbers, you know, um, 
2600 $3,000 a square foot that are coming for completion later this year. Are people going to be able to close on them? Because they, can they get their money out of various countries to come close on them? Can they pass mortgage stress tests? Uh, I think that's going to be really interesting because at $3,000 a square foot, what are these things actually appraising at today? I can tell you they should be appraising a lot lower than, than what they were pre-sold for five, four years ago, five years ago. So that's, that's going to be, that's going to be interesting. That's cool. One more question. Are. One more question on this, uh, in the sort of the chain of events, when was the last time this group acquired land or a property? Uh, I don't have it off the top of my head. Yeah. But recently in the last couple of years. Well, then I yeah. maybe have a question that you might have the answer to, which is, um, is this the first one of its kind in this cycle? Yeah, I think it's like the notoriety. Yeah, uh, size, and, size, and scope, and, and publicity. Size, scope. Like, of course, there's always these small little guys, you know. I've got a yeah. small townhouse site in, in the suburbs. Like, nobody really cares. But these are like, these are like large inner city sites, prime real estate, very, very expensive. Um, and, and it's the first and, one of its kind. The first one of its kind in this cycle. So, like I said, I think we'll see more of them later this year. I don't think it's widespread, but I do worry that uh, we're going to continue to see with these interest rates, people that aren't going to be able to close. So, so I'll give you an example. I was chatting with uh, my bank, RBC, um, the other day, and I just said, you know, hypothetically, I'm always have my eye in the market, and I'm always like this. I have a bit of the wandering eye because. You know, when you're in real estate and you see deals all the time, you're like, well, maybe I should buy that. And so, you know, you kind of want to buy everything, right? But anyways, I long story short, I'm not buying anything, but I was just inquiring. So I talked to my lender, said, hypothetically, if I wanted to buy this, you know, can you can run my pre-approval for me? So she runs this pre-approval and she comes back to me and she says, um, you know, well, you only qualify for this much. And I'm okay, that's interesting. It's fairly low. And she goes, because I have to stress test you at 9.2%. <laughs> stress tested at 9.2%. I was, well, you know, your variable rates about six and a half percent. So I was kind of asking her a few questions is because they were qualifying me based off of RBC's home line plan, which is basically like their line of credit plan. It's essentially a variable rate mortgage, but it has to be uh, stress tested as, as if it's a credit line. So that brought the rate to about 7.2% add on the 2% from OSFI's stress test. So you're getting stress tested at 9.2%. So no one can finance anything, basically. It's just like the boring power just has been crunched. And so that's why I still think like, you know, I know like a lot of the industry is getting all hyped up because January has been filled with a bunch of multiple offers and busy open houses. I'm still struggling to say this is going to be a sustained rally given the level of stress tests, interest rates are still really high and uh borrowing power has been crunched by about 30%. So that's interesting because you know, that, that reconciles with our view. You know, we've been talking for a while and it hasn't happened yet, but if we do get a recession here in Canada and it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's not shallow. It's not one of these soft landings they're, uh, they're dreaming of. Um, 
all of a sudden you're not going to be tested at nine. It's going to be 12%, you know, 14%. You think that's how it's going to work? I, if there's a recession, they're going to cut rates and then they're going to say, oh, you're going to stress test at 1% or 2%. No, no you don't thanks, think that they'll, they'll... Thanks. They will adjust their models. And if all of a sudden they, they're anticipating the economy to get weaker, then they're going to demand, like they're, they're, they'll self-impose their own credit spread. That's okay, what they're fair going enough. to do. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Like, why so, would I lend to Steve at 9%? Not Steve, of course, but another, somebody else at 9%. Yeah, gotcha. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm thinking, man, they might be out of a job. Like, right now, they can, you know, they can fund 9%, but that may not happen in three months because, you know, because of job losses and stuff like that. Well, we I had guess, Ron Baller on the I, show last week, sorry, right? And he said the bank's biggest concern, right? I mean, naturally was was employment right i mean that's that's like that's always the concern i mean people are sort of getting by some there's definitely people struggling um but people are getting by and um scraping together what they can to sort of pay off these higher rates but uh if you lose your job obviously that's uh almost impossible well that's the big one right because if if you don't lose your job you know you you make it work you're gonna you're going yeah you're gonna make it work you know what like you're only gonna go to you know tahoe twice in one season as opposed to three times and taco tuesdays yeah you want to go to st anton not taco (laughs) you know rich won't be jet jet setting all around the world and everything but that's the key thing here right it's employment which by the way in canada uh this is thursday right so tomorrow's friday we have the canadian jobs data is going to come out Ooh, and... random number generator let's go we i know well, it was revised <laughs> down it was revised down so we should let people know that because i think last month it was a hundred thousand hundred and four and it got revised down to sixty nine thousand. i think that's right yeah people were... that was shocking wasn't it remember we were yeah. like what the heck like that makes no sense and of course they got revised down the estimate tomorrow is fifteen thousand, so we'll we'll see what happens so that means the number will be anywhere from one hundred and fifty thousand gain or loss something like that you know what they should do for the jobs numbers they should get uh maggie the monkey from tsn to spin the wheel does anyone remember that <laughs> yeah i remember that keith you remember that maggie the monkey tsn no, I don't know. So in the, pay attention to hockey. Yeah, in the in the playoffs, TSN always used to have all the good coverage back in the day. And so for every playoff series, they would have Maggie the Monkey spin the wheel to predict who was going to win the uh the playoff series between each each team. And uh, I think her her track record actually ended up beating all the uh TSN analysts on the show, so so this is after original six, because that's why I used to watch. Oh, this is, Jesus. This is, that was like okay. 1980s. Okay. <laughs> oh, boy. Yes, it was um, after expansion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyways, yeah. so the job numbers speaking? are coming out tomorrow. Well, well, we should talk about the U.S. job number because that was a blowout. Well, I, well, I'm not done with I'm not done with Canada here. Okay, sorry. Whoa, 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 whoa. Give Steve some space, guys. He's just getting lined just up. Getting, started. Just getting started, started here. No, I just just sort of wrapped this whole sort of thing up, right? So uh, I guess two thoughts. One was we also had the BOC's uh, Macklem. Tiff Macklem was out uh, in an interview, I guess, what, two days ago, uh, essentially coming out and saying, you know, high high household debt levels were one of the reasons uh, for ultimately pausing their interest rate cycle here. Um, Which, I I mean, realistically, let's be honest, this shouldn't be surprising to anybody. 
but the fact no, but that- it's a bit of a jo- it's a bit of a joke. I mean, the, like you know, given what has happened over the last you know ten years or whatever. But anyway, keep going. Well, I mean, it is what it is. It's an unsustainable. <laughs> yeah, debt, debt to GDP debt. is up a hundred and go on. Yeah, it's an unsustainable debt Ponzi that essentially, you know, very difficult to actually normalize interest rate policy. I'm surprised we've gotten this far without anything blowing up yet, except for Coromandel, rest in peace. Um, but, uh, you know, that's that's where it is. And so we're going to see now this, uh, you know, the, the supposed rally that's happening in the housing market right now. We'll see if that's sustained because, uh, you know, if I'm the if I'm the Bank of Canada, the one thing I'm flagging, which is what the Fed's uh, Neil Kashkari, who I actually despise, but uh, he was out as saying the housing market in the U.S. is starting to show signs of life again, making our jobs harder, which, uh, you know, Keith, I'm curious your thoughts. But ultimately, my opinion is if we actually did have a bounce, let's say, in housing. Uh, what motive is there for central banks to even contemplate? cutting rates which is what everybody's banking on in 2023 yeah i mean there if, if we don't get a recession that the banks ain't cutting rates i mean that that's not going to happen so they mean the, the only way you would cut rates um is this i mean they they need to provide more stimulus again and right now it's you know the right now that the central banks including the bank of canada and in the the federal reserve and those guys they're they're in they're they're now launched into this mode that okay we're starting to see actually the Bank of Canada communication this week they said they actually referred to green shoots do you guys remember the green shoots comment yeah yeah that was from two thousand eight nine ten right yeah yeah ben there's, Rittin, there's green shoots there's green shoots and everybody was yeah. looking everywhere for the green shoots to Bernanke you know he said yeah we're starting to see green shoots recovery's coming everyone's like the heck you know and even this <laughs> even these days I'm walking around I'll see a little bit of green pop up and I'm like a green shoot you know so it's that's how you know you're cool when you remember central bank quotes from you know over a decade ago. My my now, coolness has been well established. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's maybe that's your pickup line. I see green shoots. <laughs> it must be a drink called green shoots or something. Well, we can make one. <laughs> did you want to get it, Keith? Did you want to get into? Uh, we also had Paul out uh, this week. What he did an interview with uh, was it Rubenstein. Yeah, it's a couple of things. Uh, it's in, I actually met Dave Rubenstein back in 06, 07. You guys are so like the same he, age, aren't you? I think so. He's been a bit more successful than than I have. Um, but he's, uh, people that don't know, he, he's one of the founders of, of Carlisle Group, which is one of the <laughs> swamp creatures in the swamp, if you want to get it that way. But they're a private equity firm. Um you know, they have offices all over the world and, and everything, but to let you appreciate how the world works, their main head office is in Washington, D.C., right? Not New York, not London. Not Bahamas or Bermuda. <laughs> yeah, like not, none of the four corners of the world. Um, it's in Washington, D.C. Anyway, um, so you need to know that's the way the world works. Um but uh, at the economic, I think it's called the Washington Economic Club or National Economic Club, you know, to become a member, you need to be part of the swamp. Anyway, uh, anyway, so Rubenstein, he interviewed <laughs> Powell yesterday. I think it was yesterday or the day before. And uh, it's actually a real nice change up from normal 
speeches that that Powell will give. So Rumor seems he's he's actually really good at at interviewing, asking questions, and he didn't hold back. Like he was going straight at Powell with with stuff in in a nice kind way. Uh, so that happened, and it's it, it's funny because with Powell, if you read what he says without listening to it, you'd say, "Oh wow, yeah, he he's actually hawkish here." That that's what he's saying. However, if you listen to how he's saying it or the tone with it, you know, you think, oh, he's not. He's kind of lovey-dovey. So like, so maybe Rich, when you're when you're hearing what you think are rejections, maybe they're not rejections. You're just not maybe you should be reading oh, it. Boy. You'll get a different, you'll get a different sign. But that's what happened with Powell this week. He's if anyone has a chance, go back and uh watch it. Um and it was, it's really interesting to hear him talk and everything. And it made him a bit uncomfortable in a few situations. He had to, he, he confirmed what his salary is for the year. I think Steve knows what it is. Yeah. Yeah. 190,000 bucks a year. Yeah. yeah but that's, that's well known. I don't, why is that a surprise? I've known that. I, don't know, since I thought I was that was interesting. Kid, that I, I, I don't think that's even remotely close to enough. And they asked him what if he thought it was. He's a, he's a, he's a government employee effectively. They're like, they're like, do you think that's, do you think you're compensated uh, appropriately? And he's like, yes, yes, I do. You know why? Because as soon as he's done, <laughs> wait, as soon as he's done doing his federal reserve duties, he's going to go on a speaking tour like Jenny Yellen and get paid $250,000 an hour. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. 190 grand though. I mean, Rich, that's to- totally true. I, I think 190 grand though, to do that job. Is uh, it, what's the, it's with the promise that you get a full pension plus anytime you ever that open is the your mouth worst ever job, again. Someone I can't think of a worse down. job. Oh, now, mind know. you, Rich, Steve is you know Steve and as a realtor, he doesn't get out of bed for like two hundred k, right? So one ninety is a, a down. <laughs> A downstream okay, yeah. number, but Rich is right though. All these guys, you know, it, it's for the payoff afterwards. I mean, like Bill Clinton was famous. You know, they came out of the White House bankrupt, basically, and somehow, you know, the the Clinton what, what was their foundation called? The Clinton Global Initiative. That's what it was. <laughs> was they raised like five billion dollars. That that that's crazy how they did that. Drain but the swamp. He, but but yeah, back to your, but back to your, but can you get in, can you just round out your points on Powell's? what he said sort of versus sort of his tone. Cause I think that's really important. Yeah. So it's a couple of things. Uh, yeah. Thanks for bringing this back in because this was going nowhere fast. Uh, so a couple of things, a couple of comments, one that you pointed out a couple of weeks ago, Rich, like services remains very strong on, on a national basis. It's just the demand for goods is starting to come down. So we see companies out there warning, you know, they they got to sell off inventories. It's on the good side, but services is still strong. You see help wanted signs, you know, at the servicing sector, it, it's it's up there. So he acknowledges that. Um, but he also kept saying that, hey, this process is going to take time. And he did not hint that, hey, we're finished hiking rates. He said, we could keep going. We're going to, you know, continue to monitor this. So again, like he's, he says all the right words, but he doesn't say it with, you know, any energy and enthusiasm, you know, you should be like hitting certain points like right on or anything. So maybe they need training with that. So markets uh, after that, like markets, like like initially they're selling off, which is what they should have. And then like zing, you know, they did a 180. And now here we are two days later and the new markets are doing a, a full round trip. They're back to where they started again. So uh, it, it's interesting right now, like with equity markets this year, especially NASDAQ, like it, it's, you know, it's taken off. And uh, 
you know, people are saying, oh, wow, here we are back again. Things are going. And, and the S&P and the Dow, the rally has been very muted relative to the tech sector. And there was some people are positing, is this the bear market rally? And, you know, maybe it is right now. But the uh, the net shorts have now evaporated. So they've covered right now markets, equity markets, that is. You know, they're, they're kind of neutral. So people haven't completely piled in yet. So the rally can have some legs, um, but earnings are starting to roll off. What, what do you see on earnings, Rich? I know you had some. some yeah, things. so it's earnings season. Um, it's earnings season. So obviously there, I mean, I usually look at the S&P 500. Um, it, there's 501 companies in the S&P 500. And I think there's 460 in, in the Euro, uh, sorry, 560 in the Euro stocks or something like that. So don't, don't get too hung up on that. But 66% of the companies have reported. Um, of those... 66%, most of them have beat. Now you say, well, isn't that, that sounds good, doesn't it? Um, so most of them have beat. What does that mean? You have beats, uh, you have uh, misses and beats. So analyst expectations will say a company, you know, Apple needs to earn, you know, X amount, $100 a share. And they'll say, oh, they, they beat by $101, right? So, you know, by the, by towards the end or towards the release, the analysts get pretty close. But what that, there's two things that are really important to note from that. One is that the beats are actually quite low relative to history. So analysts will make expectations on earnings and then sales. Um, and both earnings and sales um, have beat, but a lower percentage than historic than the five-year average or the 10-year average. So that's important to note. Um, and then the other thing is to also note is that earnings expectations themselves have come down significantly. So they're beating less frequently and at a uh, and the and the hurdle is much 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 lower. The other thing that I thought was really interesting is the fact set, which is like a really big, uh, basically information aggregator for public companies. It has posited that we'll have the first negative earnings growth quarter, I believe, um, in since the pandemic, obviously, because when everything got shut down, didn't earn. But so that's that's really interesting. I have sort of models that also suggest that that's going to happen too. Um, but the market's actually been quite muted. So what we often do is we look at sort of the announcement and then specifically the reaction. Um, what like what happens when so towards a reaction? So if you announce that you miss, you know, will you get a huge huge sell off? If you announce that you beat. Will you get a will you get a price rise? And actually, on a lot of the misses were 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 sort of met with uh, rising stock prices. And so people would say, well, maybe a lot of this information is already in the price and the earnings sort of the earnings expectations have been sort of well calibrated. We'll see. Uh, my focus has been on margins for a long, long time. I don't know, Keith, is that a fair summary? Yeah, yeah, I think you hit it right on. I mean, uh, you know, from top down, Kazakhstan are saying we should see a slowdown. And now we're seeing companies uh, for the previous period, they're starting to, they're making less money than what was originally expected. Remember our conversation about the squiggles when we did that there? Yeah, a few we showed that. Podcasts ago? Yeah, we won't go back and revisit it. But earnings estimates are always higher at the beginning of the year than what they actually are at, at the end of the year. But now we're starting to see some companies worn and, and struggle. And speaking of companies that are struggling a little bit, we have uh, Credit Suisse, and SockGen. Mm. So Credit Suisse, that's the um, you know one of the Swiss investment banks, and SockGen is uh, you know smack dab in the middle of the economic fantasy land called Europe. Uh, so the reason those guys are in the news these days, um, Credit Suisse, they're 
bleeding. These guys are bleeding clients and capital every minute here. Um, and then so them together with with Sokchen, uh, they, they both basically have to pull back or roll back on bonuses that were promised to employees and, and staff. So it's like all hands on deck, you know, people are leaving. Um, and the way it is in the banking world, you know, the the in, the invested capital really is, is intellectual in relationship building. Like there's no copyright. <laughs> yeah, like they're making stuff, right? It's just people with spreadsheets and, and who you know. That's why it's, you know, it's very important um you know like spencer strasmore like he knows a lot of people so he brought a lot of people into anderson financial you don't know what i'm talking about do you no idea what you're talking about <laughs> if you know you know anyway uh but you know there's an expression you know you know uh hell hath no fury like a pissed off banker so i i think that's what's happening today over in europe there's you- a lot of guys leaving but one more thing though when when bankers are leaving one side you know, they got to go somewhere else. So there's another, there's other banks out there now, arms wide open, say, yep, yeah, come on, guys, come in with, you know, with your Rolodex and, and stuff like that. They're getting the real quoted. Oh, from Ballers. I never watched that show. <laughs> Keith, do you feel there's any contagion uh, building or potentially building from Credit Suisse? It's kind of been talked about for the last what year now. Like everyone's kind of been well aware of their their issues, but it seems to be a bit of a slow bleed over there. I think that's more firm specific right now. So, um, you know, until it does seep elsewhere, you know, you you just have to take it as a one off event. Okay. The thing is, so the only thing I would just say is that the market cap of Swiss banks is very very small relative to global banks. Um, so that's, that's the only thing I, I would say. I think it's, um, I can't remember. I had the chart in my old chart pack and I can't find it now, but as a percentage of market cap, it's very, very small. Although the CDS spread, so the credit, credit, credit default swap is still quite high. I think it's at 250, just to give you an idea, UBS, which is another Swiss bank is at 55. So you can, in, you can roughly say, you know, it's five times the, the default risk. I know that that's not quite right, but just for argument's sake. Um, um, but yeah, so, but in general, the entire Swiss uh, banking market cap is actually quite small, right? So you've got a much, much bigger market cap in um, the US and then, and then Japan and then Europe, et cetera. So even if that were to totally blow up, unless they had some shenanigans with the derivatives or whatever it is, I don't think it would make that big of a mess. But maybe that's famous last words. <laughs> <laughs> or infamous last words. Speaking yeah. of which, I mean, it's not in the same lines at all. It's just one of the whole banking sector. Um, coming up now in a few weeks, the beginning of March, I think it's March 1 or 2, uh, the Canadian banks will report their earnings. So um, as you know, we, we've been we've been on this radar for the last three quarters is to watch their, uh, their provision for credit losses. That's what you need to look at for the banks. Remember about three quarters ago, uh, RBC did that, did that famous boomerang. You know, one quarter they had a negative clawback on, on provisioning, which helped them beat earnings estimates. And then the next quarter they had to double up again because they, you know, the, something really wrong went down at RBC for that for them to do that. Uh, but we're going to get more perspective on what they see coming forward. And with Canadian Bank, uh, 
loan loss provisioning, you want to call it, what it, they call it different things these days. The absolute dollar is very similar to what they've been carrying on the books over the last decade. And that's significant because we haven't had a recession over the last decade. It's, it's been pretty good. Uh, but the amount of lending today is greater than what it's been over the last decade. So if, again, we keep going back to that, if we if we do experience this um, recession here in Canada, I, I think you're going to see banks, you know, they're going to batten down the hatches very quickly and aggressively. And then that's going to cause Steve not to be able to borrow as much as, as he wanted to 30 Get minutes on. ago. I'm tapped out. I can't do the 9% stress test. I'm over it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Um, uh, Bank of Canada, guys, they had a big announcement this week. Two announcements this week. Did you see them? No. We chatted I, about I one of them, which was he's pausing because of the housing market, basically. What's the other one? Yeah. Um. So they... So two things. First of all, they added an outsider to their inner circle. So they, uh, you? no, no, I'm an insider. Guys. Come on. I'm an insider. Give me some, some credit here. Um, no. So they, the bank of Canada, did two things and, and they're both moves to help reduce the critique from three guys with a shovel on a podcast, basically. Uh, so first of all, what they've done, they've hired an outsider to be on their decision-making board. I don't, I don't know what, what they're called, but his name is uh, Nicholas Vincent. He's based out of Montreal. Uh, he just has an outstanding background. He's This guy is incredibly sharp, but he's, he's going to bring a, a, a different voice and perspective to help them with decision-making. So we'll see that now going forward. And uh, the other thing they did, the other, you know, the critique with the Bank of Canada, we've said that we've said it quite a bit on, on this podcast, is that they're they lack transparency all the time and consistency. Remember, I'd always say I have no clue what they're going to do. They should do this, but let's just wait and, and see. Whereas the Federal Reserve, they've been pretty transparent. The same with the ECB and everything. So for the first time ever, they came out with a publication called the Summary of Deliberations, and. Uh, can I ask a quick question? Is that the same thing as the minutes for the Federal Reserve? Yeah, I, I think you're right, Rich. I better, read through right? it, Keith. Terrible. There was nothing of substance in there. No, but the minutes are never of substance either. That's why it was sort of my question. Right. Yeah, so but just before for- it's a black box. So like I'm I'm right. sort of, you know, I'm not defending them. I'm just sharing, you know what? They've taken the first step, right? Um, and <laughs> probably the biggest thing that came out. From this document, from this document or publication, um, not only were they considering pausing. Oh, sorry. The 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 whole debate was whether twenty five or nothing. It wasn't like twenty five and another twenty five, or continue being hawkish. Like they were clearly at the point where they said, "Okay, we need to stop what we're doing," because they believe they've now reached the point where you know, very bad things may happen. They didn't use those words. They use, you know, Bank of Canada-ish like language with it. Uh, but that's where you are. That, that was a big event, guys, for the Bank of Canada this week. Congratulations. Yeah. We know you're listening and watching. <laughs> of course, of course, uh, Rich, you know, you can read all about that in the Globe and Mail. Um, in fact, uh, after your derogatory comments, the Globe and Mail reached out where to do us. I subscribed? I've subscribed. Well, they, they're offering you a three-month uh, subscription pro bono. Uh, to give it a trial run, our uh, latest and upcoming uh, sponsor at the Globe and Mail. 
Yeah, well, that's even even better deal. Actually, that says one ninety nine for fifty two weeks is the one I got. So there you go. Uh, but but just we'll so people understand, it, but just yeah, so people understand. Going. So what the when when the Federal Reserve? So I know more about the Fed than I do about the Bank of Canada. Shame on me. But I I know the Federal Reserve basically pumps out these minutes, and now these people always complain that the minutes don't really reveal anything, and in a sense that they don't. But what they do enlighten investors and and fed watchers is about sort of the discussions and so that's what i think uh, keith is alluding to in the sense that you you've you've got what is on their radar so whether it's inflation or deflation or if it's employment or labor markets or whatever participation rates they also talk about sort of um you know they talk about the quantitative easing they explain it in a much more thorough sort of long-winded way and then they also talk about, um, you know, some of the board members thought that this was true. Other board members thought that that was true. It's like literally the language. It's almost like it's, it's, it's very, very dull reading for sure. But what's, um, but I do know that there's um, a Bloomberg um, program or code or whatever that allows you to go through the words. And often, and this is how crazy people in financial markets get, they compare, like there's actually a page on Bloomberg that compares the two sheets together and then goes through all the different language. They do that for the statements as well as the, the minutes. Um, and it'll be interesting interesting to see how that evolves because I know for a while the ECB didn't do that. Um, and I think under Mario Draghi, they started to publish a similar type of thing where they they explain what they're looking at and why. And um, But it, it's always released sort of two, three weeks after the rate hike or what have you. Is it going to be the same thing, Keith? It's going to be released quite late? Mm, I, I don't know at, at this okay. point in time. Okay. But you remember like for, for the Bank of Canada to do these two moves, okay? It, it means they're, they know something is wrong. They know they have changed what they're doing. Um, and I don't know if I read it in an article or in an interview, but they acknowledge that, that you like this, guys. They got the inflation call wrong. So, the, you know, the first step is to look in the mirror and say, yeah, you know what, we, we got it wrong. And in, you know, in, in the global financial world that we're in, we're going to get a lot of wrongs, like it, it is going to happen. Uh, but they're acknowledging that. And I think it's their olive leaf. Is, is that the right thing? You know, their peace olive offering. Branch. Olive branch. branch. Yeah. Okay. They're trying to do that. Um, anyway, but it's we'll, also about we'll the credibility, see. right, Keith? I mean, it's also about the credibility, yeah. which is the bit that I think is, you know, we've talked about. Central banks are are technocrats. They're not supposed to have any political bias. They're not only supposed to be independent, but they're supposed to have sort of, they're supposed to appear independent. We know that the transitory thing was a big fat lie. And we know that they bought 92% of bond issuance between you know, Q1 of 2020 and, and, and 2022. And that is, if that's not lack of independence, I don't know what is. So I think it's really you're right. It is it is kind of a seminal moment that they've sort of acknowledged that they've lost credibility. Um, but they they've also set up. Uh -oh. You know, so you like poor old Nicholas. If you're listening, Nicholas, here's my suggestion for you. Uh, you know, when you you're playing poker, you're at the table. If you don't know who the patsy is, you know, it, it's you. Yeah. Right. Rich Rich doesn't know I, that. One, I'm, usually the one. You, I'm usually yeah, the one. I'm usually I'm I'm aware. I'm aware. It's me. <laughs> I'm really good at crazy eights, so that that's that's my deal. Um, anyway, but they've they've now. <laughs> this is not deep thinking, guys. Uh, they've now said, you know what? You guys critiqued us for doing the wrong things recently. Uh, 
Now we've made changes and now they have their fall guy. So if, if things blow up uh, spectacularly, uh, you know, they'll kick Nicholas out, you know, he's gone. Uh, they'll delete this summary of deliberations, you know, vaporize it. And they'll, they'll go to something else again. So speaking of the wrong things, we had the, uh, the RBA, the Australian Central Bank, uh, was out this week with a uh, Reserve Bank of Australia, sir. RBA. <laughs> what I said. did Steve going... call it? The Royal Bank. <laughs> Reserve Bank of Australia, the RBA. Um, RBA. They were out uh, this week with a hawkish, very hawkish rate hike, uh, which seemed to shock a lot of the Aussies over there. Because if you remember back in December. Uh, they effectively came out and says, you know, we're kind of nearing the end. We're, you know, deliberating about a pause. And then, of course, they came out this week, raised 25 basis points and said that more hikes would be needed in the months ahead. So, um, you know, I think perhaps a a humbling um, to those that are, you know, jumping up and down saying that, you know, the inflation problem has been solved. You know, the Bank of Canada has gone on pause. Disinflation is, is starting to take hold, which was Powell's comments this week. Um, I think maybe, again, a potentially a warning sign that there might still be work to be done. Uh, maybe not today, but maybe 6, 8, 10, 12 months from now. And I think that should be the biggest concern, right? My concern personally, you know, about the housing market here is, is again, that you do get, let's say a reacceleration and you're back to, you know, talking about rate hikes in 2024 because you've got a second wave of inflation. So Rich, I know you, you, you were chatting about, uh, you know, off, off the air here with me, but uh, you've got some opinions on inflation uh, potentially coming back. And I think, you know, Keith, I think your, your views might differ a little bit. So it'd be kind of interesting to sort of open up that dialogue um, about, you know, your outlook um, on the inflation process. Rich, I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, where you're landing right now, because one of the conversations was, well, you know, the China reopening, you know, they're, they're now they've gotten rid of this COVID zero and really what we've seen, uh, you know, at least in commodity prices, you know, oil never went up uh, during that reopening and copper prices while they, they bounced initially uh, are now rolling over again. So what's your, what's your kind of take here? Yeah. So you're front running my Substack, So I have now carte blanche to, to plug it. <laughs> so you can read more of my thoughts on this as in the coming weeks. But I think, um, so for me, it's, it's, it's threefold. One, I think oil is extremely, extremely tight. Um, and I think that that's not going to give people the, the respite that they thought they were going to get. Um, but really it's, it's the services component and the wage, um, we saw 517 new jobs for non-farm payrolls last week. Even if that number is half wrong, it still means that there's a very, very strong labor market. I've gone on record repeatedly saying that the demographics and the skill shortages are going to keep labor markets strong for a lot longer than people dare imagine or care or think about. Um, and then the and that's going to push up wages, and those wages are going to keep services. Um, um, spending high. Remember, services is a much larger chunk of goods than goods. Um, and then, but the key thing, the really the argument, the, the what I rounds out my whole view is the contributions. So uh, this time last year, everybody was talking about the massive contributions from used cars and all this actually transitory stuff that was related to supply chains and COVID shenanigans and this and that. And we had massive outsized positive contributions from used cars, goods, 
uh, I don't know, I can't remember now off the top of my head of all this stuff. And what, what you're seeing now is all of those contributions are going, are reverting to their mean. And I think people thought they were going to revert to massively negative contributions. So from going plus three all the way to negative three, but historically that's not what the evidence shows us. We show that when, after you get that supply shock, you don't get a massive disinflationary force from those pieces. You just go back to normal. And so we've already seen the majority of that sort of transpire. And what that means is you're not going to get this deflationary force that people are talking about. If you look at the Mannheim used car sales index, it's actually already starting to push back up in, on year on year terms. So if you if you say, OK, let's just so let's take away the contribute, the deflationary contribution that we've got from all those sort of esoteric pieces. What's next? What's next? There's the shelter component, but let's leave that aside for a second. There's the services X shelter. And the services X shelter is a significant portion of, of CPI basket in Canada and the US and UK, or whatever, all these developed countries. And it continues to tick higher and higher and higher. And that's because what I've said before is people are cashed up in the US, they're unlevered in the US, they have good they have good jobs and good wages. And they're spending. And lo and behold, consumer confidence for people between the ages of 25 and 55 ticked up last month. And so it's just, I, I'm not sure. I haven't fully rounded out my view. Um, Steve, you bastard, you caught, you caught me out. But I think it's important to note that the market has been rallying on this idea that inflation has been vanquished. And I can prove that to you because um, rate hikes, rate hike expectations have collapsed, and all these Nasdaq growth, Russell stocks, fifty, all this stuff has rallied on that. And what I think might happen over the next, well, I cannot, not I don't hope it happens because inflation is bad. But what I think might happen is you get a reacceleration or at least a pause in that narrative about it's the end of inflation. Keith, what are your Keith, thoughts? How did I screw that up, Keith? <laughs> I got a, I got some cobwebs in my eyes from listening to that. <laughs> I think we are looking at uh, it will be transitory. That's what's happening. No, transitory. come on. You're not to, that word is banned from our airwaves now. <laughs> it's going to be like transitory will be defined like over a five or 10 year period, mind you. Um I, I, you know, I agree with Rich and, and with most, with most of what you just said. Um, you know that the numbers are coming down, and right now the entire market is on the belief that we're going to have this, you know, fairy tale soft landing. And if we get so, two things will happen here. If if that is what is achieved, um, the inflation data is just going to take off again the second half of the year. And all of a sudden, central banks are like, "Oh man, what do we what do we do now?" Right? It's gonna it's it's not gonna be a nice environment. And the other side is, if if we don't get a soft landing, it does develop into something harder. Um, then yeah, you're gonna see some of the it's, it's gonna be a funny inflation number that's coming out. In that, it's our belief that you know commodity prices are soft. They're they're not hard. I mean, they're not increasing aggressively right now. They're coming down a little bit. Um, but we, we could get into this period where the, the second half of this year, commodity prices start swinging higher again, but yet the economy is getting weaker and, and weaker. I, I think we're in this very difficult period. It's no longer this, you can't view it as, hey, what's the CPI number going to be? Uh, what are the central banks doing? It, it, again, this is a very highly unusual period. We've never seen it before. Because again, just to reiterate, 
the policy response to COVID was to shut down the entire world's economy. And not just for a, a day or an afternoon, it, it was shut so down for, for for way too long. And and then you put global conflict on top of it and nationalization, all that stuff. So I I, I think this inflation challenge is going to be around for a while. And I don't know how they get out of it. One, one of the cool charts uh, that went around Twitter today, um, you know, there uh, it was Lisa Abramovich, I think her name yeah. is. She's one of the Bloomberg... Um, She's a good follow, underrated. Yeah, she covers the bond market. Uh, very good. Yeah, she, yeah, she's really good. And uh, so she's made a comment that you know the the inverted yield curve, so the ten minus the two, uh, is is now at the most negative point since the early '80s. So it's a great chart uh, to see that. And so if you think about it, like it's it's over forty years now. This is the most inverted the yield curve has been. And people are saying, hey, there's going to be a soft landing. They have their reasons for it, you know, because of, you know, central bank actions on the balance sheets and, and things like that. But it, it's something is happening. Something is going to come down. And if this is a soft landing, that's awesome. But it, it's looking more likely that, you know, maybe maybe Credit Suisse guys are right. You know, maybe they have to claw back a bit. So I'm Keith, concerned what do you, what about do you, the economy. What do you think of the so given that you just said that what do you think about this new stuff thing it's there's no landing that we're just going to take off from here and it's in a new it's like we're going to reaccelerate it's, it's a new paradigm the new paradigm yeah of no I mean, landing but, yeah there's no yeah that's, that's a good point of no landing you just because you can't sit still right you think about an airplane right you can't get you can't get stall speed right you're either going to you know come down hard or you have to reaccelerate if we reaccelerate, the central banks will raise rates again. I mean, that it's it's going to happen, and Steve's going to be tested at like eighteen percent, you know, twenty two percent, and all that stuff. And if I that happens, it's, it's just going to create you know these crazy opportunities in in the market. Um, One of the what, go ahead, Keith. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, like I was chatting with a guy a couple of years back, and he was he was a, a bond trader back in the early eighties. And uh, he was telling me, uh, you know, they were they were on a dealer desk, so they Ford just issued this bond, this debt issuance, and I think it was yielding. He said like eighteen percent or something like that. And he said, Keith, we could not give this thing away. Nobody would touch this with with a ten foot pole. Yet, if they did buy it, it would have been one of the best investments they ever bought in in their life, right? Because it was, you know, that the at the bottom of, of the bond market or the height of the yield curve, you think about it. You know, maybe we are going to go back to something like that, this extreme swing in one of the markets. But again, I keep going back. I I keep you know sharing with everyone that you know, you know, risk has been synchronized around the world. And and this is one of those points, you know, something might go a bit offside here right now but check out that yield curve the 10 2 it's on my twitter feed i sent it out i think steve might have it as well but uh it, it's we'll not included in our sub stack <laughs> in the loony hour sub stack i'll well, go sure subscribe there um sure but you know i think one of the things to uh to, to highlight here as well is um you know in the land of the dead aka where there's been no inflation for almost what two decades uh you know japan reported the biggest jump in nominal wage growth uh what last quarter there over five percent wasn't it i can double check for you it was very high 
but you know, I mean, so to, you know, Rich, to your point earlier, right. Which is, you know, maybe you have structural inflation in the, in the jobs market. And that just becomes a, a challenge. I mean, obviously, you know, central bankers keep saying we need to weaken the labor market. We need to weaken the labor market. And, uh, you know, they're certainly trying, but there's, there's this mismatch and, um, wages are sticky. Well, there's another angle that I'm not going to include in my aforementioned note, um, which is productivity. And when you pay people to stay home to do nothing, well, let me inform everybody who's paying attention that that's not good for productivity growth. And this idea that people are working from home and they're just as productive or more productive than being in the office. And I know this is going to result in a crap load of comments to the contrary, but I would submit to you, if you look at labor productivity growth basically around the world, it's it's collapsed. It, well, maybe not everywhere, but it's definitely low. And I think that that's the other angle on this side, which is if you have weak productivity growth, that's an inflationary kind of impulse. If you have excellent, excellent productivity growth, that um, that is a dis- disinflationary impulse. And I think that's something we don't really talk about. I mean, I think I, I think I saw something that only 50% of workers are back <laughs> in the office in the United States. I haven't seen the numbers for Canada, but I imagine it's the same thing. Um, and I think this is something I, I mean, I can't touch that. It's way too broad and, and difficult a subject to sort of nail down into, you know, 700, 800 words. But it's just something we haven't really discussed here, or I don't think is talked about enough. You mean... You mean universal basic income combined with MMT is a bad idea? Yes, MMT is bullshit. Well, maybe the three of us should move in to Steve's flat and then we'll start doing the loony. Three of us sitting down together doing the loony hour. I mean, no one wants to say that, right? But paying people to stay home, that's not good product. That's not good for productivity. I'm just... It's amazing. You know, I, I look at a lot of the central banks. They do great research, to be honest. A lot of these central bankers, they have really, really smart people who they don't let anywhere near the policy levers, of course. They keep them in a basement somewhere where they're not allowed to talk to or look at anybody. But they do an excellent amount of research on trade flows and um, our star and productivity growth and wages or environmental vehicles and their impact on the grid. Or they have loads of brilliant, brilliant people who do all this research. And it's just something normally there's. I'm surprised there hasn't been anywhere near enough. I mean, maybe I've missed it. If I have, please send me those papers. But they usually do lots and lots of papers on these kinds of things. What happens when you shift an economy in a certain way? What is it? How does it affect your uh, equilibrium growth rate or your potential growth? And I'm surprised there hasn't been as much work on that as I think there should be. Big papers guy here. I think that's a good no, place to. We uh, make, well, we make we make fun of central bankers a lot, and they deserve a lot of criticism. But what we often don't acknowledge is a lot of the data that we rely on comes from central banks. A lot of statistics that we rely on and look at comes from central banks, and a lot of these underlings, these people will never ever hear, hear, hear about. Um, whether they're the people who invented the three preferred measures of core inflation that Tiff Macklin insisted on ignoring. <laughs> What um, fun would yeah, what fun would it be though in a world where you couldn't dunk lit, on the central yeah, banker? That's true. But what I mean is like these there's a lot of really smart, hardworking people who work for these organizations and that are then <laughs> ignored by the policymakers. But it's just we we gotta acknowledge them every once in a while. Rich is a part of the swamp. <laughs> Drain the swamp. All right, that's a good place to wrap it up. Keith, you have any parting words? Any parting words of wisdom? 
Uh, no, it was a good one today. Looking forward to uh, more rich stories next week. More papers. All right. Well, uh, as always, guys, we appreciate the support. Uh, you know, please leave us a leave us a ideally leave us a five star review there on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Help us continue to grow the Looney Hour community. We appreciate your support, and we'll see you next week.